and and once you start seeing people like actually changing their diets and realizing that actually god i feel so much better it's like they slowly start realizing what an effect um, it has on their health hey my name is cheryl witten and this is the aromatherapist podcast One of the biggest problems in aromatherapy is conflicting information and crazy wild claims. All you have to do is search essential oils on the internet and you'll see what I'm talking about. So when you're looking for information, how do you know who to trust and how do you know what's right? Well, that's the reason I created this podcast and a course called Science of Aromatherapy. The Science of Aromatherapy course takes you through aromatherapy as a healing art and the history and modern use of essential oils. You'll learn the basics of aromatherapy, the science and chemistry of essential oils, contraindications and safety considerations, and clinical and personal applications. In this course, I take you through everything from how aromatherapy affects epilepsy and bleeding disorders to drug interactions, allergies and sensitivities, and to use in pregnancy and breastfeeding, and even with children. We cover the main modes of application and profiles of the 10 most popular essential oils. By the end of the course, you'll understand the most common contraindications and safety guidelines, how to use essential oils, how to build a protocol, and how to choose, cross-reference, and eliminate essential oils, as well as how to formulate, blend, and dilute essential oils, and so much more. So why should you learn from me? Well, I'm a clinical aromatherapist, and I've been working with essential oils for around 20 years. I've trained with some of the world's renowned botanists and aromatherapy experts, and I teach people all over the world about aromatherapy. I also happen to be a professional health writer and have published peer-reviewed research work in aromatherapy. It's no longer necessary to be confused about aromatherapy. Let me guide you to clarity. Visit livelovelemon.com forward slash science dash course to enroll. My guest today is Lydia Dortich, a registered naturopath and medical herbalist from New Zealand, and she specializes in women's health, predominantly in hormones and fertility. So I talked to her today about the impact of modern day diets, lifestyles, and stress on our hormones, and how that we haven't really evolved much over our last few generations, and yet our world has evolved in leaps and bounds, and we're sort of having those effects in our body and in our hormones and in our fertility. So we talk a lot about the effects of environment and our food systems, as well as the the role of nutrition in hormone health, as well as some herbs and safety around herbs when it comes to hormones. So we had a really fantastic conversation. Lydia knows her stuff, and she was fabulous to talk to. And so my friends, Lydia Dortich. Hi, Lydia. Welcome to the show. Hi. So before we dig into things, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Why did you choose herbalism and naturopathy? Um, Well, it's a bit of a a long story because I didn't even really know what a naturopath was or a herbalist. I think probably like a lot of practitioners coming into natural health, I had a pretty um, poor um, background of health. Um, Growing up, I had allergies and ear infections. Um, And then as a teenager, I sort of led a typical bad teenage life of lots of fast food and um, 
you know, drinking and partying. And and at that time, I also decided that um, amongst all my other poor habits, I decided I'd be vegetarian. And I think, you know, I was probably the worst um, vegetarian around because I decided that mushrooms were my protein and Mm. I lived off mushrooms and bread and beer pretty much. So pretty much by the time I got to my 20s, I think I... I was in pretty bad health, like I was, you know, always tired, um, pretty depressed, and um, I, someone had mentioned this herbalist that, you know, really helped them. So I went along, and, um, you know, over I saw her over quite a few months, and she gave me lots of sort of potions, and I was quite fascinated by what she was giving me, and I, you know, that I just felt so much better, like over time, and she didn't even sort of talk to me about what I was eating or the other things I just started feeling better with the herbs Uh, you call them herbs we call them herbs Mm -hmm. and and then one day I just thought why am I why am I going to this herbalist and having all these amazing potions and I'm doing you know undoing it with all these bad habits that I had so then I slowly started um, turning those other things around and one day I was sitting in her clinic and I thought I want to do this. This is great. And and so that kind of sparked um, in me the passion for um, this whole new world that I had entered into. And I could, you know, I experienced it with myself. And um, at the time, I was actually working as a, an accountancy in commerce. And I and I really hated it. And, it mm. and when I decided that I was going to do this, it was just a game that my whole world turned around. So that's how I got into it. So going from a corporate world into the world of naturopathy and herbalism, it's quite a big jump. And yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And But I think, you know, by having that kind of background, I, I am totally sympathetic with the clients that come in because I'm, I'm not a purist and that you have to do things this way. I'm really a follow people's processes because I understand that people aren't going to change overnight and it's it's often just through that experience of feeling better that they actually get motivated Mm, I love that so yeah so now I work in a integrative women's health clinic and I specialize in fertility and um, hormonal health so things like endometriosis PCOS PMS thyroid conditions yeah so that's where I am now yeah, it's so interesting it, what you mentioned. It is so common that um, most of the people I talk to on the show have gotten into a different type of or more integrative health care as a practitioner because of their own health struggles and looking for better answers for themselves. So I love that because it really does offer your your clients and your patients more empathy. You can really understand how people move through the world because you've been there been there yourself and understand just how much more you need you know people are looking for so very common and I love that yeah absolutely so I want to talk to you about hormones and fertility especially since you specialize in this so let's just dive into it and I'm going to ask you a massive question right off the start why do we have problems with hormones like how is this connected to our lifestyle okay so there's there's a few reasons that this happens and I think it's probably best to go back to looking at what actually are hormones Mm -hmm. and what they really are are chemical messengers in our body and they are constantly circulating around telling different organs 
what to do and they all work on a feedback loop. And so sometimes the messages that they get, they change the, the chemical structure or the hormone structure in our body. So if they're getting signals from our external environment that things are not quite right, then they change their feedback to sort of tell the hormones to do something different. And so what with our, say, for instance, our lifestyle and our diets, especially with stress, like stress is a big one, it's sending a message to our body that things are, we're in danger and we don't know, our body doesn't know that we're not in danger, like our life isn't in danger, but that's the kind of signal it's getting all day, every day. And particularly in fertility, that's really important because our bodies are so amazing in that they they will prioritize things. So if we're under an enormous stress, so a lot of people have really big jobs that just require so much of them, and then they want to have a baby, their body's saying, no, you can't, it's too dangerous. We're gonna, and so it ends up shutting down all of the non-essential functions. It keeps going with its digestion and guess, yeah, all the other functions, but fertility is not an essential function. So it will shut that down. And often it is just the stress that that will cause um, issues with fertility. So it is, we're really looking at those feedback loops in terms of why our hormones become affected by our lifestyle. Um, the other thing is um, our, you know, when we look at the sort of pollution and things in our environment, you know, the chemicals in our um, products that we use on our skin, the sprays on our food, some of those actually mimic our hormones. And so our body doesn't know that they're not our hormones, but they have a similar chemical structure. So that can affect that feedback loop as well. Yeah, so um, you're getting too many, You're basically your body's saying we have enough of this already, even though it's not an endogenous hormone. Yeah, exactly. And then yeah. it causes a problem, yeah. So yeah, so the endogenous hormones are hormones that our body makes, but the exogenous hormones are those that we take in from external sources. So yeah, through our foods or the things that we spray on our bodies or um, lotions that we put on our skin. And often people don't realize that those, even though we're not eating those things, they do get absorbed through the skin. And you would know, you know, as a aromatherapist, you you know, <laughs> That, that has a big effect, you know, just by putting things on our skin and inhaling as well. Uh, so all the, you know, sprays that we use to freshen the air and things, they are terrible. And and also they're not, a lot of them are not regulated as uh, food type products because we're not ingesting them, but we actually are. So some of the other things, um, you know, why things can go wrong. So sometimes genetics. So there are some situation like say for instance endometriosis there is often a genetic link there not always but you know often when you question um, someone you know did your mom or aunties have endometriosis often they say no because back then there wasn't really any diagnosis of it but they did have very heavy heavy painful periods so you know like debilitating heavy painful periods so it's likely they did um, then there's other things like um, body types where um, they could be particularly prone to things like polycystic ovaries. Um, and those are more your kind of, you know, apple shape mm-hmm. kind of people where they, their waist to hip ratio is, is quite high. And um, PCOS is driven by something, you know, often driven by insulin resistance, not always. But body types can play a part. 
And then other times where we get problems are where we have those big adjustments in our hormones, which are natural, so things like puberty and perimenopause, where our body is so, in puberty, our body is learning how to have periods and how to be regular. So there's often big fluctuations over quite a few years before that becomes more stable and that can cause a lot of hormonal problems. And in perimenopause also, it's almost like a second puberty and Mm -hmm. when things start shutting down. And, you know, hormones can be very erratic then as well. And we can, you know, or women can experience quite a few problems then also. And then also another thing that can happen is our, you know, when we were talking about, when I was talking about genetics before, we have um, these new studies around something called epigenetics, where we used to think that if we would inherit some certain genes and that was our destiny. But now we know that we can actually turn those genes on and off. And it doesn't mean that if we were given a poor um, poor set of genes, that they would actually manifest in our, um, in our health. So we, through our diet and lifestyle, we can actually turn those genes on and off. So we have, um, and, and those genes can also affect our hormones. So the, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of things we can do to to help our hormones and our fertility through our lifestyle. I, I would say probably you know eighty percent of it would be to do with you know things that we can change. Mm-hmm. Well, it's just interesting. I just want to go back to the stress for a moment. Stress. This conversation I have a lot about stress is that stress is not just the emotional piece of that we commonly think of, you know, where we're under a lot of pressure. Mm. Sometimes it's things like, you know, when we see this in women where, you know, exercising too much yeah. or not eating enough and that causes you to lose your period and, and mm. mess up all of your hormones. So yeah. that's a form of stress too. And are there other pieces to that, to the stress element? Yeah, absolutely. So you're right. Anything that's not in balance really so when you're saying you're talking about over exercising um that's very common like i see it a lot in teenagers where they you know they might get really into a particular sport and they're doing well so they're really pushed to their limits and their periods you know shut down which they think is great because because Mm -hmm. you know they think you know periods are just a problem so but actually then later and you know when they do want their period back and it doesn't come back then they realize that it's a problem so yeah so those are definitely stresses on the body or not eating enough um some other things that i see like especially with women is women are tend to be like overgivers and people pleasers mm. and while that doesn't seem like a stress it what it means is that they're often not giving to them they're not allowing themselves to get what they want because they're always giving to others and that's just something that's passed down it's an unsaid thing that we see through our own mothers that being a good mother is giving you know they give to everyone and they're on the you know PTA and they're always doing this and that and and then women look at them, you know, think, oh, I'm not a very good mum because I'm not doing all those things. And then they try and please. And that that's, I see that as a huge stress. And trying to change that mentality is really tricky. And, and I try and, you know, say that if you look at 
giving to yourself as in filling up your cup. So your cup, you're giving from a cup that's empty right now because you've given everything you've got. If you give back to yourself, so you do things you enjoy, it might be going to the movies or going for a walk or going dancing or something just for you that you can fill up your cup and then you've got enough resources to give back to your family. Doing those things for you is actually giving to your family. Otherwise, you end up getting resentful and and then that's stressful. So Mm -hmm. that's kind of a really under-looked at, I guess, stress, I think, in women. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And I wanted to talk a little bit about nutrition as well, because mm-hmm. we mentioned that briefly. How does the state, you talked about the, the environment, how does the environment and the chemicals and the state of our soils, how does that really affect hormones? Because it's part of our, our nutrition. And so like nutrition is the basis of hormonal health. So mm-hmm. what's the connection there? So, I mean, it's, it's huge really. Um, with nutrition because we we get all of our nutrients most of our nutrients through our foods and what what we're finding is that our soils are becoming more and more depleted and because there's a huge demand on them there's a growing population um, the yields are getting less so these farmers are having to put more kind of fertilizers and pesticides and things on the um, you know vegetables and fruits and all of those things start to deplete the soil because the soil actually has its own um, microbiome. And the microbiome is like, you know, these different um, bacteria and other substances in the soil that, that balance it out. And humans are kind of trying to dictate, I guess, what's going on with that soil. So we are replanting crops in the same fields and we're not giving the the fields or the soil a chance to regenerate again before we put another crop in. So over time, those soils are becoming more and more depleted. Um, there's actually a really, um, I don't know if you've heard of Dr. Zach Bush. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he has, um, he talks a lot about soil health and um, he has an organization called Farmers Footprint where he's trying to teach farmers about regenerative um, agriculture. Um, so that, you know, not only does that improve the quality of our foods because our soils are regenerating, but it's also more cost effective for them to actually grow those foods. And and one of the things I t- talk to my um, fertility patients about in, in particular is if you think about it, our bodies actually haven't changed at all in the last, I don't know, several generations. We're the same physical structure and physiological structure that we have been in the last few generations. So evolutionarily, we haven't changed. But what has changed significantly is our diets, all the processing of our foods, all the chemicals in our environment, um, our food chain, even the seas are becoming more polluted. Mm-hmm. And so those are the, and you know, stress as well. So those are the things that have changed. And those are, you know, it's a big reason why we've had such a significant problem with you know or rising rates of infertility that's not our bodies it's you know what we're exposed to so food plays a big part in that and the other thing is with the sort of chemicals and things in our environment is that some of them like persist they keep so these things called persistent organophosphates that don't actually break down they just keep going round and round and our and they start to build up in our bodies and, and we're actually finding that 
or, you know, women who are pregnant are passing these things on to their babies and then babies are growing up being exposed to more and then they're passing it on to their children. So it's like it's almost like a compounding effect of what we're exposed to. And there's, there was a really interesting study done on the cord blood of babies and what they found was that in quite a large portion of the baby's cord blood, there was a... Um, some of the persistent organophosphates that were banned in the 1970s were still in that cord blood. So it's quite shocking. Yeah, very <laughs> serious. Very it's, serious. It's very serious. Yeah. And, um, and you know, those kind of things too can affect, you know, fertility going forward. So uh, the big thing is really to try and avoid it as much as possible. We can't live in bubbles of, you know, we are at the moment <laughs> with COVID, but mm-hmm. but I think even that is opening up people's eyes of like actually what how important our environment is. And even you know when we all did the whole world kind of shut down, you know look at what, how our environment changed. Like look mm-hmm. at the kind of some of the rivers that cleaned up, and there was more bird life around, and you know it, like mm-hmm. nature kind of was able to regenerate. It's quite amazing. I know. It's incredible. Well, and I yeah. read a, uh, an article recently. I think it was Aaron Brockovich was wrote an article about declining rates of sperm in men yeah. being affected by chemicals. And there's an I now I'm not going to be able to remember the the author who's who was writing the book about this. But this author was saying, you know, why is nobody listening to this? Like we've been saying that sperm uh, is declining and. Mm directly in relation to and caused by by chemicals Mm. and we're going to have reproductive problems right shortly if we don't do anything about this but no Mm. one was really listening to i think the article is in the guardian anyway so we do know these things but but no one seems to really be be paying attention or i don't know it's very bizarre i find it to be very it it is bizarre and and the the, one of the reasons i think because i i guess because i see I see it in my face all the time, the couples that are having trouble. And when you start educating them on why it is that, you know, maybe they're in this situation, you know, these light bulbs go off in their head and think, oh, that makes so much sense. But it's not until someone has a vested mm-hmm. interest to actually change that they will, because it's easier to just keep doing what we're doing. And the reason it's not it's not out there, I think, is because, our world is sort of driven by big pharma, big food corporations. That's where all the, the money is. And they don't want people to know mm-hmm. that the things in the food that they are giving or, you know, maybe that there's a different solution to the drugs or, you know, there's like money is kind of king. And uh, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of that and it's very frustrating, but I think awareness is getting out now. I think people are becoming more aware of it and they're having to because they're having fertility problems or mm-hmm. they're now having children with behavioral issues who, you know, you clean up their diet and give them the right nutrients and they start getting better and they're going, oh, you know, it, it's mm-hmm. it's quite incredible what, what an effect. They don't realize it, that that's actually what can cause these things. So I think there, there is a rising awareness. It's just not fast enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And can you talk a little bit about uh, nutrients that we need for f- fertility? And 
lots of people are on birth control and there's a, there's a direct connection between vitamins and nutrients and the pill. And so can you just talk about that, that correlation there, the connection? Mm-hmm. So with the, um, the birth control pill, there is um, like a lot of evidence now to show that it does cause vitamin deficiencies and they don't necessarily, you know, this can accumulate over time. So it might, they might not notice any difference in the first sort of year or two, but it's over time these nutrients slowly get depleted. So the ones that they're finding are being depleted on the birth control pill are like a lot of the B vitamins. So you've got your um, um, folic acid, your B2, B6, B12, um, magnesium, vitamin C. So those are some of the main ones. And when we look at what the nutrients are necessary for fertility, folic acid is one of the big ones that's necessary for like cell replication and embryo development. So women that are coming off the oral contraceptive pill wanting to get pregnant, they're often going into pregnancy with um, vitamin deficiencies, mm-hmm. um, which which can be a big problem. And the other thing that happens, it's not just the oral contraceptive pill, it's also sometimes women are on the copper IUD mm-hmm. and when sometimes copper can accumulate in the body and that can copper and zinc are sort of antagonists so if there's too much copper then that drives down your zinc so zinc is really important yeah zinc is like a cofactor in a lot of processes yeah, in lot. your body yeah yeah, yeah. so um yeah, so, so it's really important to get those nutrients replete before, you know, going into trying to conceive. And and a lot of people don't realize that, you know, there's usually, if someone, try, you know, is getting married, they will spend a year planning their wedding and um, all the ceremonies and the dress and everything. But when they are, you know, having a baby, they just think, oh, just, let's just try. They don't realize that there's, a period of time before conception that's really important um, in terms of improving egg and sperm quality. Mm-hmm. And so those are where those nutrients are really important. So it's not just like folic. So a lot of the natal supplements have folic acid in them, which now we, we know, well, there's a lot of research, but it still, still doesn't seem to be getting through either, which is frustrating. But folic acid is actually a synthetic form of folate. And for a you know, quite a large percentage of people, they can't convert that folic acid into folate. Mm -hmm. So it's quite important in a natal supplement to have activated folate already in there, not folic acid. So that's that's something that um, a lot of people aren't aware of. Um, And yeah, other nutrients like um, CoQ10 can be really important, especially for older couples. Also, um, choline is another really important nutrients so often with people like vegans there's a lot of you know vegan um, vegan foods tend to be quite low in choline because it's quite it's high in in animal products like eggs and fish and chicken Mm -hmm. so I do I do see quite a few vegans struggling with conception and you know once you get them on some good choline or sometimes they might even start eating a few eggs that can change that picture around vitamin d is another really important nutrient and and we mainly get that through the sun. And I don't know what it's like in the States here with the sun, but I know in, in New Zealand and Australia, we have um, really high levels of skin cancer because mm-hmm. the sun is really harsh. So people don't tend to go out in the sun that much or they use a lot of sunscreen. So 
vitamin D levels seem to be very low here. So that, that's really important for like implantation and ovulation. Yeah, vitamin D is low here too. And I'm in Canada too. So we live in the Northern Hemisphere. So we don't get yeah. sun. It's winter, right? No one goes outside. Um, right. And it's dark early. So we really just, everybody is low. I mean, most yeah. people are low in vitamin D, but we're especially low here. Right. Um, yeah. And that's a critical vitamin as well. It's actually a hormone too. So yeah, important part of the yeah. part of your nutrition. So then if you want to, if you're looking at doing this year long preparation for, for mm -hmm. conception, what should you be focusing on nutrition? What do you need to get in your diet besides vitamins? What kinds of foods should we really focus on? Yeah. So what, um, what we look at is trying to get, make sure that people are eating enough protein. So often pro these protein at dinner time, mm -hmm. um, people generally have a pretty good dinner. But then throughout the day, it's generally quite carbohydrate heavy. So we try and get people to eat more protein at um, breakfast and lunch or throughout the day. So And also a diverse range of protein. So not just meat, but fish and beans, um, nuts and seeds and eggs. So getting a nice range of protein. We also talk a lot about having clean food. Mm -hmm. So some of the foods, for instance, like fish which are really healthy for us but some of the fish is like particularly the larger fish like tuna and things like that they are, have been in the sea for a really long time and they're very fatty and those fats are really good for us but what they also do is accumulate all the pollutants from the sea and heavy metals so and that's not great for our fertility so we we Talk about with fish, like trying to avoid those bigger fish and focus on the smaller, like things like sardine or pilchers or, um, you know, the darker fish, but the ones that are smaller because they haven't spent so long in the sea. Mm -hmm. or, um, or looking at where you're sourcing your fish from as well. So some of the, the you know, parts of the ocean are, are more polluted than others. So really looking at where you're sourcing your, your fish. And the same with, with meat. So in an ideal world, we'd all eat organic food, but that's that's not really um, doable for most people. So there are some meats that we do recommend that you do have organic, and that one of those is chicken, mm. because they tend to be sort of pumped full of quite a lot of hormones and antibiotics. They, they pretty much grow from like a little baby chick to fully grown on the dinner table, and I think it's something like 30 days, which is... Yeah. crazy mm -hmm. um, and you know whatever they're pumping into them to make them grow that fast we're also eating that so chicken is something that we recommend having organic and yeah eating lots of like a you know diverse range of vegetables and once again trying to just make sure that they're clean so there's a um, list that's published each year by the environmental working group called the dirty dozen mm-hmm yeah, so it's quite good. It's quite a good reference to look at in terms of which are the most sprayed, highly sprayed fruit and vegetables. And then there's another list called the Clean 15, which is the least sprayed fruit and vegetables. So sort of referring to that and trying to buy organic off that dirty dozen list and then um, or wash your fruit and vegetables really well. So protein, lots of fruit and veggies. And really trying to reduce the refined carbs. So 
a lot of people you you know there's bread and pasta and cereals are quite predominant in a lot of um, diets so trying to cut that down um, and focus more on whole grains rather than those processed refined carbohydrates um, so yeah so nutrition wise that's that's where we focus it's just really a clean and you know trying to cook from scratch as much as possible mm-hmm. so as soon as you start buying packaged food there's more processing and sometimes there's really cheap ingredients and you don't really know often what's in there but when you cook things from scratch yourself then you know what's in there and you know that your body's getting the best nutrients out of it. Absolutely. So how about if you're not currently focused on fertility, but you have hormonal conditions, how does, and I'm, I'm thinking specifically about too much hormone, how does fiber, how can we use fiber to affect our hormones? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, our hormones are produced in our body, but they also need to be excreted from our body and we have different pathways of excretion so we have our sweat we have our kidneys which we urinate uh, so that's one form we have our um, and then our bowels so we poo every day and that's a really good I guess we want to make sure that we're going every day sometimes with constipation it means our um, toxins are just kind of being reabsorbed back into our body And so we want to make sure our bowels are going well. And one way to do that is through fiber. So if we are using, you know, like I was talking about before about fruits and vegetables, that a lot of those are full of fiber, especially the non-starchy vegetables. One fiber that I really like using, especially when there's excess estrogen, is a fiber called linseed or flaxseed. I'm not sure whether that's what you call it as well. Yeah, flaxseed, yeah. Yeah. So, so that's an amazing, it's, it's actually got something called phytoestrogenic properties. Mm-hmm. So, so that's a weaker form. It's not estrogen, but it, much like I was talking about before, it's okay. Um, it mimics estrogen. So it offsets the natural estrogen we have in our body. And it also helps to excrete estrogen and, and our, gets our bowels going. So fiber is really, really important. And, and also it's important because it helps us to have a better microbiome. So our gut microbiome plays a big role in our hormones as well. And so the more diverse our food range, so most people tend to kind of have the same kind of foods on rotation. Even if they have a healthy diet, they still kind of seem to rotate the same kind of, because we're all creatures of habit. Mm-hmm. So we kind of have the same kind of meals. But if, if we really focus on trying to diversify the kind of vegetables we have or the fruits, then that helps the diversity of our microbiome to become um, yeah more diverse. And that means that what they've found is that the most healthy people have the most diverse um, gut microbiome. I think that's some tribe in Africa where they, they're like hunter gatherers, and they so their diet's always changing depending on where their, their seasons are, and so they have an like an amazingly diverse microbiome. So yeah, so fiber plays a huge role in that as well. And okay, so what about herbs? I'm gonna I I want to ask this question. I'm gonna come back to the phytoestrogen um, comment. Can we use herbs for hormones, and especially if you're having hormonal problems, so your hormones are all over the place, or you're having specific disorders, hormone disorders. I mean, there's lots of herbs that we can use, but how do we use them here? 
Yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. So that's probably one of the areas that that um, herbs work really well in um, is our hormones. So you've got to be really careful, though, with what you're using. Um, I kind of I get um, that there's a lot of products that you can buy over the counter with herbs in them and that, that are marketed for different conditions. And it, and it kind of irks me because you've got to be quite careful with how you're using them because they are quite powerful. But there's, there's definitely herbs that help to promote um, estrogen, um, like one of them is as well, yam. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's other ones that help to promote things like progesterone or just to balance your hormones. So, they, so the reason they work so well is that they don't just do one thing. They do a whole lot of things. So they almost work on a, a whole lot of body systems at once to bring it back into balance. And that's why I think they work so well. And they, they often have more than one action. So sometimes they could be helping to, say, promote estrogen, but then they also might have like a calming effect on the nervous system or on the uterine tissue. So they, they have more than one effect. And it's really important that as we are using hormonal herbs, that we're also monitoring women's symptoms and how they're responding to those herbs. And I often get my women to chart their cycle so not only charting their symptoms but their temperatures their mm-hmm. morning temperatures um, blood tests aren't always that useful like I, I do do blood tests but because our hormones changed so much throughout the month it's not um, really telling us a lot about you know what's going on with our estrogen and progesterone but the monitoring our symptoms and charting can tell us a lot and you know, and then changing the herbs around with depend on how those symptoms are changing because that tells us how how they're responding. And it can take up to three months for those to take effect sometimes, just because of that whole three month cycle of ovulation. So that three months prior to ovulation, that yeah, it can take that long. So yeah, absolutely use herbs and and the concern is around you need to know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um which is where sometimes they can get given a bad name because people take something that they shouldn't be taking and then they have bad effects. And it's it's like putting drugs on the shelf and telling people to self-prescribe. It's not just not done. So Yeah. Yeah. There's lots of things herbs should not be used with, lots of different medications that should not be combined yeah. with herbs and lots of side effects for sure. I think generally people think that they hear that herbs have hormonal effects or phytoestrogens therefore that's dangerous. It's going to cause cancer. Like that's where mm. the rhetoric kind of goes and your mind kind of goes. Can you, can you talk a little bit about how that's not the case and how, how herbs and like fiber as a phytoestrogen is actually protective? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So I sort of explain it like you're not given, it's not like a hormone replacement. So it's when women are given hormone replacement therapy, they're given, actually given estrogen. Mm-hmm. Whereas herbs are not actually estrogen, they promote your body to produce that estrogen, or they have, like you said, the phytoestrogenic qualities, which are a weaker form of estrogen. Because there's actually three types of estrogen in the body, and some mm-hmm. of them are stronger than others. So the phytoestrogens actually offset our own sort of stronger estrogens and have a weaker effect rather than make it worse, if you like. 
And then, like you said as well, with making sure your excretion pathways are also working. Mm -hmm. So you need to make sure, like always, always with any hormonal work, I'm always working on the liver because the liver processes our hormones. And without doing that, you know, often you're not getting a a very good effect. You you need to make sure that the liver is being helping to be processing those hormones out. Yeah. And I think something that's often missed, I mean, there's lots of research about the protective effects of things like phytoestrogens like fiber. Yeah. But also there's there's an element of they actually displace mm. exogenous things. So like parabens and things that actually mimic estrogen. They mm. actually displace those off of your receptor cells. And so that actually or your receptor sites, sorry. And so that actually helps because it's moving yeah. out those harmful think chemicals that mimic your your estrogen. And yeah. so it's like blocking them. Yeah, absolutely which is fantastic. I love herbs for that. Yeah. yeah, I know. They're amazing. And it's just, it's like, yeah, those whole, you know, you, you've only got so many receptor sites and if, you know, the phytoestrogens can lock onto those, then they're stopping any other kind of adverse effects of other things locking on. So, yeah, yeah. exactly. And so I get this question a lot because I'm also an herbalist. And of course, I know the answer. But can you talk about birth control? Can you take herbs, hormonal herbs, while you're while you're on hormonal contraceptives or birth control? Yeah. So once again, um, you, you've got to be careful with what you're giving. So with the oral contraceptive pill, what what that's actually doing is providing your body enough hormones that it shuts down your own hormonal system, um, and they're not actually the same hormones as ours here synthetic hormones so if I, I I would never use hormonal herbs if someone was on the oral contraceptive pill mm-hmm. um, I would also be really careful like I always ask people why why are they on the oral contraceptive pill is it for contraceptive purposes or is it maybe for the acne or because if it if it's for contraception then I really want to be careful that I'm not gonna uh, upset the effects of because <laughs> I don't want them to get pregnant yeah. if, if mm-hmm. they're not wanting to yeah. But there are so many other herbs that can be used that aren't hormonal. So, you know, treating, like I said, the liver or the nervous system or the adrenals, um, helping those, the channels of elimination. Yeah, there's lots of other herbs. So often, you know, women will have, like they might be on the oral contraceptive pill and they may come in and have like high anxiety or insomnia or, or things like that. And there's so many other herbs that can be used to help with those conditions, but they're not affecting your hormones. So once again, you kind of need to know what you're doing with what you're prescribing. And it's sort of a backward step, really. You're, you're, I see it as you're, you're double, double dipping. You're trying to fix a hormonal problem with the birth control, if that's what you're doing, and then trying to use herbs mm. at the same time is like, it doesn't even make sense. Yeah. That's kind of how I do it. Yeah. And, and it's also about educating because you know, women are put on the oral contraceptive pill because that's all that the doctor may have to offer for mm-hmm. lots yeah. of things, which they shouldn't be, you know, acne or depression or, you know, just some crazy things I've seen women put on the oral contraceptive pill for. And when you explain to them what's going on and what it's actually doing and that there are actually other alternatives, they like really surprised because they didn't even know. So sometimes they are, you know, more than happy to come off it when they know there's another option, mm-hmm. but they just don't know. They don't, 
I've never been told. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of side effects to the birth yes. control that can be totally. quite dangerous. <laughs> yeah, it is. And, and especially, you know, they don't often know that it actually shuts down your own ovulation. Mm. And so you're then not getting the beneficial effects of your natural estrogen and progesterone, and particularly in those younger years where your bones are that's where they get strong in those younger years. And the estrogen is really important for that. And so if you've been on the pill for 15 years from, you know, put on it at 15 for your acne and then maybe at 30 you want to come off it and have a baby, you've kind of missed a whole lot of those years of natural estrogen. And then you've got to wonder what the effects are on their bones later in Mm -hmm. life because you can't kind of make up those years anymore. Yeah. And for for some women it does, it is beneficial for them. Um, but for some women like me, I, I mean, I had a crazy side of, uh, reaction, excuse me, to, to oral contraceptives. It's just not an option. I mean, it just, mm. it can really yeah. mess with your emotions and your mental health and lots of things. Mm. So I just, this is just not an option either. So yeah, side effects are something to consider for sure. Mm. So right now, right in this moment in time, there is a enormous, almost like fight between <laughs> between natural medicine and allopathic medicine about food and nutrition. And there's this all this rhetoric about how it just doesn't affect your health. Like it just doesn't, has nothing to do with anything. And there's a lot yeah. of talk about how the climate crisis and all these chemicals out there, like there's nothing to do with anything. And, you know, it's killing the environment and the planet, but somehow it doesn't affect us. And that the products that we put on our skin, the products we use have no bearing on our health. And I think it's just the most ridiculous. I don't, I just don't understand why, why we're even having that conversation. I think it's very dangerous to talk like that mm, and dangerous rhetoric. So, dangerous. so we talked about this briefly, but what do you think needs to change here? Like as practitioners too, how do we keep pressing for change? Mm. Yeah, I know. I feel the same frustration. Um, and I, I think the prob- part of the problem is with, you know, any kind of social media or information that we're fed is what we're into. So we are into natural health and we're into clean eating and things like that. So when we go, when we Google, when we go onto like Facebook or whatever, that's the kind of information we're fed. Whereas if you're in that other mindset of, it's got nothing to do, food's got nothing to do with our health and, you know, the planet's fine and, you know, that's what you'll be fed. So I think part of it, that's part of the problem. And and when you look at it like that, it is frustrating and, and there's not much you can do. But where I see the changes happening is where people have a vested interest in changing because like, you know, like yourself, like you couldn't go you couldn't take the oral contraceptive pill because you had terrible side effects so you had to try and find an alternative mm-hmm. and through that you probably discovered a whole lot of other things that you know your diet affected your hormones and all these other things which you didn't know and so when people come you know into my clinic and you know maybe their children have eczema or um, they can't have a baby or they've got you know autoimmune conditions like thyroid you know problems um, then they're ready to like they're ready to listen and to change and so it's so not not that I'm saying that's what it takes but that's almost what is happening is where people's eyes are being open to 
different possibilities mm-hmm. because they're not getting the answers. And in that way, in a way, is when people are struggling, that's where they start Googling and finding out that there's different ways and then learning more, which is we didn't have that before. And and also the next generation, I think, may be different. Like they they are a lot more environmentally aware than our generation and hopefully change will start coming through from them. Yeah, um, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, but like it, that's where I like to look at, you know, like people like um, Dr. Zach Bosch and stuff, like I just, I know his, you know, he's got an uphill battle as well, but it's, I see those change makers who are, brave enough to put themselves out there because they do get ridiculed mm-hmm. um you know and they might have quite out there beliefs as well but they their general kind of ethos is that they're looking for the truth you know mm-hmm. and and once you start seeing people like actually changing their diets and realizing that actually god I feel so much better I didn't know that you know having that coffee every morning made me anxious or you know, eating pasta every lunchtime was making me tired or, you know, that kind of thing. It's like they slowly start realising what an effect um, it has on their health. So I, I don't think there's a quick answer. I think, it, like I said, money kind of talks and at this stage, but I do, I, I do see a shift in people questioning things now. Mm-hmm. And, and also even with you know, the COVID lockdowns, I don't know what it was like in, in Canada when things sort of first started shutting down, but I know here, like, people started growing gardens and vegetables and seed sales went through the roof because people were thinking, oh, my God, what if I can't buy vegetables? I, if I can't go to the shop, what am I going to do? So people, were like, started growing things and trying to fend for themselves, and that was amazing. So I was hoping that was going to ch- change mm-hmm. things, but I think pe- you know, a lot of people have gone back to normal now, but yeah, it's a it's a hard one. But I I just think you kind of have to fight your own good fight and just educate as much as as you can. Mm-hmm. And I also think too, it's so important to just understand that while there is a disagreement, perhaps in the way things are are shared, like there's this there's a whole thing about you know, food is not medicine that's happening right now where it's, I mean, we get our nutrients from our food. So your food directly connects, Mm. directly affects your health. And so to think that that is not the case is time to listen to somebody different, I think. (laughs) Yeah. And, and it's, and it really is when, you know, when you start kind of explaining things that the light, yeah, you see it go off and the eyes go, yeah. And, And it is like a whole you start seeing things through a whole new lens. Yeah, it is crazy to think your food. How could your food not affect you? It's it, what it's what nourishes you. And this is crazy. I mean, we learned this years ago that this causes scurvy if you don't have enough vitamin C. Like we mm-hmm. know these things. So for someone yeah. to say that this that's not it has no connection to health is just absolute ludicrous. <laughs> and and I think the other problem is that it's it's not always a. Di- you can't always see a direct effect mm-hmm. straight away. And usually when we're younger, we can get away with, you know, eating really badly and feeling fine. And it's not until we get older that we start really noticing the effects of that and we can't get away with eating like that anymore. And then you're not always sort of relating it back to that kind of years of, you know, 
neglecting your diet as the reason for you know your arthritis or maybe because your bowel you've been constipated for years because you didn't eat any fruit and vegetables and and now you've got some serious bowel condition it, it's we're not it's not a sort of cut and dry thing it's like when mm-hmm. people say so and so causes cancer well no it might not you could say that about everything it's not just one thing it's like multiple yes. things that can cause cancer and, and it's the same with diet you can't just say one food does this and mm. it's that that whole linear concept of take this drug it gets rid of this mm-hmm. take this drug it gets rid of that it's much more diverse and it's not linear you can't always correlate it to it helping one thing or the other it's, it's more of a holistic approach Absolutely. And it's all of the pieces together, you know, Yeah, and something we talk about on the show a lot is that health is about whole health. It's all of the pieces of your being um, mm-hmm. and all of those things connect to your hormones too. So it's very important to look at the whole piece for sure. Yeah, totally. Well, thank you so much for being here with us and for your time. It was so wonderful to hear from you and your perspective. And uh, where can our listeners learn more about you? So I've got um, my Instagram um, is Lydia Dorotich Naturopath and also my website is LydiaDorotich.com. Beautiful. Well, we will link those up in the show notes. So thank you so much for being here. It was wonderful to meet you. Great. Lovely to speak to you, Cheryl. All right, beautiful people. Thank you so much for listening today. If you feel so inclined, please subscribe, rate, and review this show. For show notes and more information on essential oils, please visit livelovelemon.com forward slash podcast. And we'd love to know what you're up to and how you're using your essential oils. So head over to Instagram and find us at the Aromatherapist Podcast. My name is Cheryl Witten, and I am your aromatherapist. We have to share with you this obligatory disclaimer. Information in this podcast is for educational purposes only. It is not a replacement for medical advice or for professional aromatherapy consultation. If you need medical care, please visit your physician. Speak to your primary care provider, pharmacist, and a qualified aromatherapist before commencing any programs.